Hey, I think we should give it up for the band one more time. Aren't we? <laughs> we are so fortunate to have talented people like all those people who can share their musical gifts with us and lead us into the presence of God. So it's been a great start to the morning. And as you saw from that video, we're back into our Relational Vampires series. Now, we thought it was a smart thing to take last week off being Mother's Day and all because, you know, somebody might bring their mom and then, you know, we do this and then they start thinking they're implying something. And so, you know, you can just thank us for not, you know, adding drama to your life. So we took a week off and now we're back. Um, if you haven't been with us, um, though, we, we started this a couple weeks ago and we started out by talking about critical people. How do we deal with critical people? And the amazing thing that's happened is we've had very little criticism around here, which is a good thing, although it's starting to tick up a little bit, so maybe go back and watch that one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, then a couple weeks ago, we went on and we talked about hypocritical people and really how each one of us struggles with that in our life. And really the heart of this series is how Jesus one time said, if you want to sum up all of the commandments, if you want to sum up all of the teachings in the Old Testament, all the things that God calls you to do, if you want to just put it in one nice, concise commandment, he says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think we often miss how revolutionary this was because no one had ever said anything like that before. Now, of course, you were supposed to love God if you were a devout follower of God, but no one was really that concerned with how they would love their neighbor, especially people who were maybe removed from them outside of their family. It was a revolutionary thing. It was a whole new way of living, and it really transformed the world. It was really the backbone behind why the church grew exponentially because Christians went out and they loved other people in Jesus' name. They put themselves out there. They took in orphans and they, they helped people out in their needs and the church exploded. And so we today are still called to do the same thing, to love God and to love other people. But I think every one of us would agree sometimes we encounter people who are a little bit harder to love. Would you agree? Maybe somebody in your family, maybe it's somebody at work, somebody at school, maybe one of your neighbors. There are just some people that are a little bit harder to love. And so what do we do with that? That's the heart behind this series. How do we love people better who suck the life out of us? Those people who drain our energy, who those people who, you know, we try to avoid because we don't know what to do. And so today, we're going to talk specifically about people who are overly needy. Now, do you know anyone like that? Someone who is just a needy person. You know, people who are always in a crisis, who always have drama going on in their life, who always need something more from you. You know, it's the people that when you see their number pop up on your phone, you instantly start to make excuses, or you always let it go to voicemail, or you pretend like you never got the message, because it's those people who dominate your time, those people who can never have a short conversation, you know you're in for an hour plus every time you answer the phone. It's those people that never stop asking for money, even though you have given and given and given. 
It's those people who try to invite themselves to whatever you have going on. Those people who always dominate the conversation. You know, someone shares something going on in their life and they always have to try to top it. Whatever you try to do for them, it never seems to be enough. Do you have anybody in your life who maybe is a little bit overly needy? Well, there's a story that takes place in the book of Acts that I think starts to help us get a handle on what God's calling us to do when it comes to needy people in our life. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it's really Luke, cha- uh, Luke part two. The gospel of Luke continued on, and it's the story of the early church as the apostles went out to share the gospel far and wide. And so in Acts chapter three, starting with verse one, we have this situation that takes place that becomes pivotal in the life of the early church. And so it reads, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now pause for a moment. This is the eastern gate of the temple in Jerusalem. And it is such an amazing place that its name was the beautiful gate. It's the east side. It's 75 feet tall. This huge double doors. And it's coated in gold and silver. Just ornate. Just gorgeous to look at. And every day, people would come to the temple to pray. And there were three main times of prayer. It was nine in the morning, or at noon, or at three in the afternoon. So hundreds of people would stream through the gate. They would go and pray and show their devotion to God. And then they would turn around and go back to what they had going on in their lives. And so we're told at this beautiful gate, there is this man who has been crippled since birth. And he's right there at the base of the doorway. So that every person coming in the eastern gate has to pass him on the way. Now we're also told that this man is completely dependent on others. Someone has to physically carry him to his spot. And then at the end of the day, they have to come back, pick him up, and carry him home. He's completely dependent on the charity and the generosity of others. Now if you read on into chapter 4, we find out that he's about 40 years old. And so he's been at this for decades. And it means he has tried everything possible. He has found the very best way to get what he needs. He's tried all the other doors. He's tried all different means, all different things to call out to people. And he's finally arrived at the most successful way. To simply be direct and ask people straight up for their money. Now, fortunately for him, as people are going in to pray and they're devoted to God, I mean, what looks more devoted to God than throwing some money at someone in need? And so he does very well where he's at. As people go in, you know, they don't even really have to break stride. They can just keep walking, keep their eyes focused ahead, toss some money to him, and keep on going and feel really good about themselves. And hopefully other people saw them do that. 
But you see, when Peter and John come, there's something different about what happens. Because it specifically says that they looked directly at him. Now, why do you think that detail was included? Well, I think maybe we know from experience. Have you ever been downtown Minneapolis before? Maybe you're walking to a Twins game or a Timberwolves game, and you see someone coming at you on the sidewalk who you know is going to ask you for money. If you're at all like me, you start to look anywhere and everywhere other than at them. Have you ever done that before? Maybe you grab your phone, maybe you just go off and you look up into the sky, but don't make eye contact. You see, that's what people were doing as they entered the gate. They would just walk, maybe toss some money, but keep focused straight ahead. And yet Peter and John, they look directly at him. You see, others didn't want to get emotionally connected. They didn't want to get invested in his life at all. But Peter and John are all in. They see the man for who he is. And they want to actually get at his real need. Well, then it goes on. Peter says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now this is an amazing contrast because silver and gold is the essence of value and worth in this society, and I think we would say even today. But in this story, they're simply pocket change compared to the value that Jesus can bring. You see, Peter shows us there is power in calling on the name of Jesus. And that becomes a theme throughout Acts. We have power when we go directly to the Savior of the universe. Jesus came to usher in a new hope and a new reality He came to establish God's kingdom within the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus knows what we actually need. And it's so much better. And it's so much more valuable than money. Now, I I love the next part of the story. Where it says, this man jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And then if you read on into verse 11, it says, All the people were astonished and came running to them. Now, can you picture this for a moment? Because this guy is so ecstatic at what has happened. He is jumping up and down. He's running. He's praising God. But not only that, he's now inside the temple. Notice, he wasn't allowed to go into the temple the way he was before. When he is begging for money, he had to be on the periphery. But now he's inside the temple. And not only that, everybody knows who he is. They all know this is the guy who has sat day after day, year after year, decade after decade, at the gate asking for money. And it says they're filled with wonder. They are amazed by what God has done. And it's no denying 
that God's power is on display. And they can't help but tell everyone. And as it goes on to verse 11, it says, not only the people in the temple are excited, but all of the people in Jerusalem. And the crowd builds because they are eyewitnesses to what God is able to do. And if you read on in chapters 4, 5, and 6, again, you see this is a pivotal moment where these eyewitnesses of God's power go out and tell others. And then they go out and tell others. And the crowds grow. And the church grows exponentially. So how about today? What about when we come face to face with needy people? What about those people who drain our energy and our time and our resources? I think the question that we need to answer is how do we best help them without hurting them? What is God calling us to do so that we can help people and not actually hurt them? There was a book that was written a couple years ago called When Helping Hurts. And it was written specifically about dealing with poverty around the world and global missions. And what the the author talks about is how oftentimes when we go out as Americans, we think we have all the answers. We think we know best. And we go out and we do these things and we try to get other people to follow our way of living. And we do more harm than good. And I think it also goes for us personally. Sometimes we think we know what's best, but in the long run, it can actually hurt people even more. I think God is calling us to be more thoughtful and more spirit-led when we deal with needy people in our life. So I want to give you three things to keep in mind today that I think will help us as we seek to help and not hurt those needy people. Number one, We need to give prayerfully. When we're going to give to someone, now this goes for our finances, but it also goes for our time and our talents and our energy and our focus. We need to always give prayerfully, to be thoughtful, to be careful, to even be strategic in how we give to others. Because, you know, I think our tendency is that way too often we give emotionally. (coughs) Excuse me. We see somebody in need, we watch a television commercial, we hear a presentation, we hear a testimony, and it tugs on our heartstrings, and in that emotional moment, we decide, all right, I'm going to, you know, write a check, I'm going to do something, and oftentimes, it relates to the guilt that we have. You know, I kind of feel guilty because things are maybe okay in my life, this person's in need, I'm going to simply write this check or give this money emotionally because it'll make me feel better. But have you ever noticed that when we make decisions based on emotion, they're not always the best or the, mo- the smartest course of action? We need to instead stop to be prayerful and thoughtful and strategic. Because what the other person needs might be so much deeper and more intangible than just handing over a check. You see, what someone really needs might be a connection or a relationship or someone to listen to them or someone to even walk through a difficult season with them. Way more than just some spare change or a one-time donation. 
You see, the thing about money is it oftentimes allows us to just check off the box without really investing ourselves, without even interrupting our lives at all. It's like those people going into the temple. You know, they can just keep walking straight ahead, toss some money, and move on. Peter and John could have done the same thing. They could have thrown some spare change over. But no, they stopped to truly see this man, to really understand what his needs were. They were willing to prayerfully determine what God was calling them to do instead of just being led by their emotions like the rest of the crowd, just doing the easy thing. And they got to the heart of the matter. You know, often what people want is not what they really need. And it probably goes for us too. Sometimes what we want is not what we actually need. A few years ago when I was serving another church, I had a guy show up very regularly to meet with me. And every single time, he wanted money from the church. He just wanted X amount of money. And he would talk about how desperate everything was and how he wasn't sure how he would make ends meet. So after a few times meeting with him and him asking for money every single time, I said, you know, like, how about we write out what your income is and then what your expenses are? And let's start there. And so he wrote down the sheet and it had all his expenses. And I noticed he had an over $500 car payment and he was paying well over $100 for cable TV and the list went on and on and on. And what I saw is what he really needed was not just another check to keep things the way they were. What he needed was someone to help him make a budget, someone to walk with him through financial management. And we were able to pair him up with someone who had a passion for helping people with their finances. When you encounter somebody with a specific need, it might not be about what they want. Maybe God is calling you to help in another way. Maybe what a person really needs is a help understanding their self-confidence that comes from God and God alone. Maybe it's someone needs help understanding their identity in Christ, that their value doesn't come from this world or what it says. When we give prayerfully, led by the Spirit, well, then we can respond to needy people by saying, I'm not just going to give you what you want. I'm not going to just take the easy way out. I'm not going to disconnect from you as quickly as possible. <clears throat> no, I'm going to focus on helping you get what you really need. I'm not going to just tell you what you want to hear. I'm not going to just make you into a quick transaction. No, I'm going to do what God calls me to do, no matter what that costs. And you see, what the lesson there is for each one of us is that we need to learn to be truly open-handed with what God has given us, to not hold tightly to any of our resources, whether it be our time, energy, talents, or our money. In fact, think for a moment. What is the hardest thing that you have to give away? What's the hardest thing that you have to give away to others? What are you holding on to the most tightly? Because I think today, maybe the most valuable commodities we have are our time, scheduling people into our calendar, being able to give someone 100% of our focus. Well, whatever you're holding on to tightly, maybe that's where God wants to stretch you and help you grow as you seek to help others.
So number one, we need to learn to give prayerfully. Number two, then we need to serve wisely. Now Jesus modeled what an amazing life looks like. He served others selflessly. He was generous at all times. He taught faithfully. He built relationships with people on the fringe. He always listened with 100% focus. Remember, he told the disciples, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others. And he said his mission was to seek and save the lost. Is there any more important mission than that? But even with that urgent mission, Jesus still found time to disconnect and to be refreshed. I love this story in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, where it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Even amidst his urgent mission, Jesus found time to get away, to recharge, and connect with his Father in heaven. But have you ever had somebody say what the disciples said? Everybody's looking for you. You try to take a moment to yourself. Everybody needs you right now. Moms, I know you can identify with this, right? You just want a few moments to yourself. Maybe go to the bathroom by yourself, and all of a sudden the kids are saying, everyone's looking for you. You, know, you try to lock the door, and you see the little fingers coming up under the door. <laughs> Remember, Jesus modeled for us the need we have to get away, to take care of ourselves, and to recharge with God. I think these days, most of us don't pay very close attention to the flight attendants on an airplane. But there's one thing they always say that I think is so profound when you stop to think about it. You know, they talk about if the cabin pressure drops, there's masks that are going to come down from the ceiling. And what do they always say? They say, put yours on first before you help somebody else, right? I mean, if you're not breathing, you're not going to be a whole lot of help to your kids or your spouse or anybody else in your row, right? Well, I think that's what Jesus is teaching us. We need to make sure we fix our spiritual mask first before we can help other people. Do you remember the Good Samaritan story? The Good Samaritan comes along, and there's this man who's been beaten to a pulp. He's almost dead lying beside the road, and he stops to help him. And he brings him to a hotel, and he bandages him up, and he gets the care he needs, gives him a comfortable place to stay. But what does the Good Samaritan do? He doesn't stay there every single day with him. No, he goes and talks to the innkeeper and says, all right, I'm going to pay you to take care of him. And in fact, I'm going to come back a little bit later, maybe a week later, and I'm going to check in and see how things are going. And if there's more costs that come up, I'll cover those costs. But you see, he had other responsibilities. He had other obligations. I mean, he was on the road because he was probably on the way to a meeting. He found a way to serve wisely. The Gospel of Matthew tells us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Serving wisely doesn't mean saying yes to everything or everyone. There's a wise teacher who once said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Start with just one person or one situation 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you don't ever say no, it makes it a lot harder to say yes in the future, right? So give prayerfully and then serve wisely. Number three, then trust completely. Never forget who's ultimately in control. You might remember back a couple months ago when we were studying through the book of Galatians and we got to the last chapter, chapter six, and there's this very profound spiritual truth, but I think we've all lived this out in our life. Paul says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. There are consequences for our actions, right? Sometimes the actions that we take mean learning difficult lessons. Do you remember the prodigal son story? This young man comes up to his dad and basically says, I wish you were already dead, right? I mean, could you just speed things up? Because I need the inheritance money. It's like the most insulting thing you could say to a father or a family member. But this father is incredibly gracious and kind, and he gives him his money. And this young man goes and he spends every dollar that he's given in unwise ways. But all the while, what's the father doing? The father is at home, and he's praying for his son, and he's waiting by the road. Now, what does the father not do? He doesn't head into the city to go try to rescue his son. He doesn't try to fix things. Isn't that often our tendency? We want to rescue people. We want to fix people. But no, the father stays and he prays and he waits. And then something happens. Jesus says, one day, this young man comes to his senses. Now again, the father could have headed in and he knew exactly where his son was. I mean, it's a very close-knit society. The father is getting reports every day saying, hey, we saw your son stumble out of the bar yesterday. We saw your son going into the casino last night. He knew exactly where he was, but he was willing to wait and pray until his son comes to his senses. And he comes home and he's welcomed with open arms. Parents, we understand this, right? Sometimes we have to allow our kids to experience the consequences in order to grow as human beings. You know, if you stay up and you play video games all night, don't be surprised if your GPA starts to drop. But I think it's still true for us as adults, right? If you're late for work every single day, don't be surprised if you lose your job. If you go into debt again and again, it shouldn't be any surprise that you might lose your car or, God forbid, you might lose your house. In many of these situations, the most helpful thing to do is to not to just go and try to rescue people or try to fix the situation, but instead to trust that God's at work, that God will bring about his plans and his purposes, and he will teach us the lessons we need to learn. Be very, very careful when you start to think it's your job to rescue people or to fix people. People are not projects for us to fix. No, they are people for us to love. Keep on pointing people to Jesus. It's the most powerful thing we can do. And remember this, we aren't the answer to anyone's problems. God is the answer to people's problems. And it leads us to one more thing I want you to remember today. 
Remember, you also are in need. And Jesus is always the answer. You also are in need, every one of us. Now, we might not be in as desperate of a situation as people in other parts of the world or even people in our community, but every single one of us is in need. Look at Psalm 70, verse 5. It says, but as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. Now, who wrote those words? King David. King David is the essence of self-sufficiency and power and wealth. If anyone could go it alone, it should be King David. But he acknowledges that deep down, he's in need. He needs God's help and he needs God's deliverance. You see, the amazing news of the gospel is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. Jesus took care of our most urgent needs once and for all. Every one of us is in need. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We are all broken. We need Jesus to come and change our hearts and to change our lives. And we need each other to help support each other and encourage each other and point us back to Jesus. So if you're feeling desperate today, if you have a deep need in your life today, in any area, don't hesitate to run to Jesus. And when you encounter someone, maybe even this week, who is in need, well, remember to give prayerfully and to always serve wisely and to trust God completely. And then remember the most powerful thing that we can tell someone in need. Most powerful thing. We can tell them, I can't give you everything you need, but I will introduce you to the one who can. I can't give you everything you need, but I will introduce you to the one who can. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your amazing power and love and grace. How you have a solution to our deepest needs and that you were willing to send Jesus into this world to live a perfect life, to show us how to live, but then ultimately to sacrifice his life for our sake because of our needs, because of our sins. God, we thank you for Jesus' death and resurrection and the hope we have in the gospel. God, help bring that truth home into our lives today. Help remind us that you have taken care of those deep needs that we have. And then God, help us as we go out into the world to share that good news with everyone we meet. God, help people to see your everlasting love radiate from us in every interaction. God, give us wisdom. Give us direction. Show us how we can best help others in your name. 
God, use us as the body of Christ to shine your light into the darkness of this world. And so, God, we trust you, we love you, we praise you, and we pray this boldly in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said.